It's time for the Minnesota Work Comp Connection. Legal experts in the Minnesota workers' compensation industry talking about all things related to navigating and litigating claims in the workers' compensation system in Minnesota. Sponsored by the law firms of Brown and Carlson, PA, and Motaz and Sisk. Nothing in this podcast should be considered legal advice. Each case is different, and you should consult with an attorney about anything you learn about on this podcast. Please consult with an attorney at either of our firms if you have questions relating to your claim. Now on to the show. Welcome to the Minnesota Work Comp Connection. My name is Eric Hayes, and today I have with me Jerry Sisk. Good morning, Jerry. Hey, good morning, Eric. Good to see you again. Good to see you. Thanks for joining me. We're going to talk about employee depositions, so injured worker depositions in the Minnesota Work Comp industry. Jerry, almost every case involves taking a deposition of the injured worker. Yep. It's something that we routinely do. And we are very familiar with it, but I think it's an important skill to develop over time. And today we're going to cover a couple of those tips for having an effective injured worker deposition. Jerry, the first thing that I do when I prepare for an injured worker deposition is I prepare a checklist. And it's important to know that I don't write out all of my questions, but it's just a checklist of things that I want to cover during the deposition. And the reason why I think it's important to have simply a checklist versus writing out each one of my questions is because I don't want it to be a script. I just want to refer to it to make sure that I cover the areas that I think are important. Jerry, do you see most defense attorneys using a, a checklist or writing out all of their questions? When I see defense lawyers who come in and take depositions of my clients, I think the ones that are more proactive and take a better approach are ones that uh, don't rely on an outline, whether they have a checklist. I think there's a difference between a checklist and an outline. As a young attorney, I used to do defense work and I had an outline and I kept that in front of me and I utilized that. One, because I was nervous and two, I was working for partners and wanted to make sure that I was doing a good job. But as you progress through your legal career, you obviously start becoming more confident and understand the legal uh, and factual issues that are being presented. So I think if if I was talking to a younger attorney or anyone who's looking to take an effective deposition from a defense perspective is don't rely solely on the outline, but have a checklist. Um, I think it goes to just being a good lawyer is saying, what are the points that I need to make? What do I, what information do I need to elicit or wrong up or down? What do I need to get and make sure that I get that information by the conclusion of the deposition? Yeah, and I think that's right, Jerry, because if you use a script or something where you're writing out each of your questions, I think there's a fear that you're not listening to the testimony that's being elicited. And so when I guide a new attorney on how to take an effective deposition, I'm emphasizing that we might have a checklist, but you don't want to write out each of your questions because I fear that they're going to rush to the next question so that they can follow their script versus listening to the testimony that the witness is giving you and then following up on, on important details. And so, again, I think those do go hand in hand, having a checklist and then listening to the witness so that you know where to follow up and when to follow up. 
Eric, do you think that it's important to establish some sort of rapport with the deponent in some form or fashion? I think it's very important. And I think the first tip is you got to be yourself. I couldn't, it's not a one size fits all thing, but I find that I'm happiest and I'm most effective when I'm able to be myself, I'm able to be friendly, I'm able to develop a, a conversation with the injured worker. I try to, I really try to be kind to the injured worker. I think I've seen times where defense attorneys, maybe they're tired or maybe they've had a bad day, but it almost seems like they're crabby or something like that and they don't want to be there. And I don't think that's the most effective way to take a deposition. And I've actually tried that, <laughs> believe it or not, Jerry, I've tried to be a little bit more gruff and a little bit more stern and um, thinking that maybe that's going to be the persona that I want to have. And I found that it's really not. I think that you do yourself a disservice. So I try to make the witness very comfortable. I try to be very kind. And I think that the more comfortable that witness is, the more likely they're going to tell me the truth, an accurate story, and I'm able to get more information. I think that if you are gruff and crabby, people have a tendency to button up and shut down. And that's not what I want. I want to get the most information. So yes, I do think that it's very important to, to develop a rapport with the injured worker. And uh, the way that I do that is just be really kind. Another strategy that is important when you're taking a deposition is to understand that it's not always the question that you ask, but it's also a good strategy to deploy the awkward silence. And some people might question, what do you mean silence during a deposition? How's that gonna work? But sometimes I find that if I just sit back and listen, I get more information. Developing that rapport, Jerry, there's always a series of background questions that we ask about their name, their birth date, their address, and some of their family dynamics and stuff like that. And really that's just to get them to answer, get used to answering questions. I don't really care where they live. I'm just trying to get them used to this question and answer format. And when you get to the meat of the deposition about how the injury occurred or what the mechanics were, sometimes I find that you ask a few questions and you get them talking, but then if you just remain silent and look at them in a very kind and eager way, they're going to keep talking. And I've had depositions before where looking back, it seems like it's been five minutes since I asked the question, but the person's still talking. And sometimes that's when you get the most important information is when you just deploy that awkward silence and sit back and see what information they're going to give you. And, and that's one of the reasons why, and we talked about this before, advising my clients of just that. I think it's an, uh, uh, a natural thing for us to when there is this awkward pause, especially if we're telling our story, this is our story that we're telling that that awkward pause that we somehow feel like we've got to fill that void and provide, you know, further information like we just had earlier where there was that kind of delay that that uh, that pause. So yeah, I, I do I do advise my clients to to just be quiet until there's a question. And because I just for that same reason, people are going to talk and they're going to provide further answers and further responses, which may not have been elicited by a question, but only came about because you kept talking. I also think that it's important to put everything on the record. And what I mean by that, often when we're talking about injury claims and workers' compensation, there's a lot of details about how the injury occurred. 
what happened at work that led to the injury. Sometimes they're specific injuries where somebody slipped and fell, and sometimes they're uh, minute trauma injuries where something happened over time, right? Their back pain developed over time, an overuse type injury. But it's important to understand the mechanism of injury so that you can evaluate that mechanism of injury and your expert doctor can also evaluate that mechanism of injury and help navigate that injury claim. And so oftentimes when we're taking depositions, Jerry, the injured worker will say, I was lifting a box and I always follow up with how big was the box and they will motion with their hands and they will show me with their hands that the box was approximately 18 inches long. And if you don't put it on the record that the witness is motioning with their hands that the box was approximately 18 inches long, the record's not going to be clear on what the employee just did in terms of motioning with their hands. And so when I say put it all on the record, that's what I mean. Another example would be somebody was injured, they work uh, along a conveyor belt in an assembly line. It's how high do you have to reach for things? Well, I have to reach about this high. And it's like you're reaching about shoulder height, right? Nothing above shoulder, just at shoulder height. Yes, it's everything's at shoulder height. So you want to make sure that you're listening to that person's testimony and then helping them uh, use their words so that the record is clear in terms of how that injury happened. Jerry, when you are preparing an injured worker for a deposition, what are some of the details that you share with them so that they're prepared? So a deposition of an injured worker is one of the integral parts and probably one of the most stressful pieces of a workers' compensation case. In part, it's because the injured worker has never had their deposition taken before, never been part of this process. As attorneys and as legal professionals as ourselves, we, we do this on a daily basis. While I still remember the butterflies that I experienced in taking my first deposition, I have not ever been in the hot seat, in that seat in, in terms of having a deposition taken. But first and foremost, when, when going through this process with a, an injured worker is to really explain to them what a deposition is and letting them know that this is a legal proceeding where the attorney representing the employer and insurer are allowed to ask them questions and for them to answer them under oath. That means that they've got to swear to tell the truth. I'd let them know where it's going to be held. Prior to COVID, a lot of them were held in, in person in our office. Now they're being held via Zoom or Teams or remotely. Some are still being in person. But again, those create its own logistical issues. But also too, they can help to put the injured worker at ease, especially if it's in a room or at their home in an area where they're comfortable. So there's pros and cons to both of those. But in addition, it's letting them know what to expect with the deposition. And when I, you know, even before the deposition is takes place, we're advising them of things that they should do prior to their deposition to prepare. And I think the first and foremost is preparation for them to understand what types of questions they're going to be asked. Because if they have not thought about their employment history, which may be asked of them, they're going to be scratching their head and thinking about it and it may take time. They may also think that they've got to be exact on times and dates when in fact, as a defense lawyer, you already have a lot of that information, so you're not necessarily trying to pin them down about this was at 1.30 on December 13th of 1919. Instead, hey, this was, we just want to get a general idea. And we want the injured worker to have at least thought about it 
thought about prior injuries, prior employment history, prior accidents, and then also to for them to really think about their injury, what caused it, what are their symptoms and problems, and so that way they can articulate at a deposition what those are in a very succinct manner, which can be understood by everyone. So that's the first thing. And then two, once we, once they've had that initial ability to take all of that into account, we meet prior to the deposition and go over some of uh, the things that they can expect. And I, and we typically do it right before the deposition because one, if you do it weeks in advance, people are going to forget about it. It's just human nature that we're going to forget. And then we're redoing it. And when we, when I meet with an, an injured worker and we're going over the deposition, First and foremost, we tell them to tell the truth, right? And that's the most important because as I've expressed in prior podcasts and these cases are won and lost based on credibility. And I, I assume, Eric, your deposition, one of your goals is in terms of taking a deposition is to assess that credibility, right? Absolutely. And I think it's also worth mentioning is I want the truth too. I think it doesn't do anybody any good if somebody comes into the deposition with the preconceived notion that they need to sugarcoat it or embellish things. I think it's easier. It makes both of our jobs easier if somebody's prepared to to tell the truth. And I'm glad to hear that's the basis for this, the leap off point for getting into a deposition. So it sounds like you try to uh, give them some ideas on what to expect, what areas of questioning to expect, and also to tell the truth. Anything else that you do prior to the deposition? What we also want them to do is to have a way in which to answer the questions. Now, that may seem easy, but we understand that lawyers, oftentimes questions sound better in our head than they actually come out. And so we want to make sure that the injured worker is able to, one, understand the question. So if the question that's being asked, we tell them, look, if you don't understand it, ask the attorney to rephrase it. Okay. If it's a compound question where they're asking you multiple things within one question, which may require a yes, no, maybe just to say again, Hey, I don't understand the question. Now, obviously, you know, I'm going to object to those types of questions, but in the event that again, it's confusing that they indicate that they don't understand the question because in reality, if they answer the question, there's an assumption by many that they understand it's, Typically only after the deposition has been transcribed and maybe the errata sheet has been provided, or maybe they just don't look at the deposition transcript until prior to a hearing and go, you know what? I didn't understand that question. That's not right. And so then there's, then that, that creates its own set of issues. So we want to make sure that the record is accurate because if it is going to be used for impeachment at a hearing or trial that, that my client has responded appropriately Two, if they don't know something to say that. I tell them that they're not expected to memorize and remember everything about their life or even about their injury, but they need to let you know that they don't, that they don't know and they don't remember. And that's fine. Lastly, what I really tell them to do, because I found in my experience in handling depositions, even from a defense side to now representing injured workers, is that what creates a deposition to be longer than it needs to be is where a injured worker is responding to questions that aren't being asked and giving responses in, and oftentimes they do that in hopes that they can circumvent this process, that they know that you're asking background information, so they're gonna to try to give it to you. But getting back to the point of you being a good defense lawyer is that you want question 
an answer. You want, you want that question because if you are going to use it for impeachment purposes, you don't want to have to go through six pages of testimony in order to impeach somebody about a prior, a prior accident, injury, or symptom or problem. So you're going to ask that. So regardless of even if they answer it, you're going to ask that question. Two, just as you mentioned, you know, providing further information where it's not needed and giving an opportunity for you to gather more information. Now, as I tell my clients, we're not hiding information. We're not, it's not like we're lying. That's not it at all. This is, again, this is litigation. There is a dispute and this is an adversarial process. That means that you are trying to save money for your client. You're trying to do good by your client. And the same is true. And there are rules and laws that are in place that set forth how that information is disseminated amongst in discovery and depositions and the like. And so we need to adhere to that. And so for us, we don't need to necessarily volunteer information because, you know, if we tell you on Saturday, I'm going to be over at a, a rodeo going on a horse, guess what? You're going to call your adjuster and get surveillance and go over there. And now they may not be doing anything in, that's outside of their restrictions or limitations, but it just gives you more ammunition that you may be able to use at court and just another uh, hurdle that we have to jump over throughout this process. So again, it's keeping those answers simple and just responding to those questions. Good advice, Jerry. I'm curious. I know that it's nerve wracking time for injured workers to go through a deposition. Most people have never been through a deposition, whereas you and I have been through hundreds. I'm curious, after a deposition, do some of your injured workers indicate that, oh, that wasn't that bad or that it was more pleasant than they expected or, or anything like that? Yeah, that's actually a good question. I used to tell people that, that, that at the end, you're going to think that it's not that bad. You may say that it wasn't fun, but I actually did have a client once who said, yeah, that was fun. So now I can't say that, but... For everybody else that I've ever represented other than this one person, what I tell them is that if they follow these guidelines, they follow these rules, they're, they're probably going to go around and say, you know what, that wasn't that bad. Okay. And, and again, because it's unknown, we get ourselves worked up. We, because we don't know we're going into a dark room that we just don't know. And for many, that's why we try to provide as much information beforehand to provide some light for them so that way when they are going onto that hot seat, they, they, they expect. And it's always prepare, prepare for the worst. And that's what we want them to do because I know there are practitioners out there who their standard time for a deposition is three hours. They ask every question under the sun regardless. And, you know, you as a defense lawyer have that right to do that. However, when we start talking about that checklist, what are the points that you're trying to make? There's that you, you, you want to just stick to it. So again, I had a deposition the other day and it was a half hour. So three hours, half hour, still an injured worker, still with fairly similar history, but it just depends on the attorney who's really looking at the issues and, and making a decision. Eric, I was wanting to ask you, do you, is there any sort of tactics? We talked about the awkward silence, but are there other things that you utilize one to assist you in maybe assessing credibility, gathering further information from the deponent, maybe even 
structuring it so that way you have a better handle of what the injured worker is going to be at a hearing. Is there anything that you elicit through a deposition that, that you see that's going to help you in Yeah, your that's case? a good question. And for me, what I always tell people is that I'm trying to create a picture in my mind or paint a, paint a picture in my mind. Sometimes even during the deposition, when I'm asking so many questions, you get a strange look from the injured worker about, wow, this is a lot of questions about that minor detail. And sometimes I'll stop and I'll just say, hey, I know this is a lot of questions, but I'm trying to paint a picture in my mind of exactly what happened so that I understand. And so for me, I start to really understand the dynamics of the claim, the credibility of the witness, and quite honestly, the value of a claim when I'm taking a deposition because I'm able to hear the story, make my own assessment of this person's credibility, and ongoing pain complaints, make my own assessment about the nature and extent of the injury in terms of, is this still impacting this person significantly, or is this an injury that has already resolved? And so absolutely, I'm all of those things are coming together during the deposition for me. Not only am I able to understand the mechanism of injury by painting that picture in my mind, but I'm able to assess credibility and relay to my clients whether I believe that the judge will find the person credible or uncredible based on their testimony. And I will say that most people are credible. I think most people make a good witness on their own behalf. It's a rare case where the report back to the client is this person's story is not credible or they are not credible, although it does happen. So yeah, I think that it's an important procedure in a workers' compensation claim. And for me, it's when I really can put a face to the name of the claim and then moving forward every time I revisit that claim for the next step of the litigation, I remember those key facts that we've developed during the deposition and it helps me make recommendations to my client moving forward. Jerry, thanks so much for sharing with me uh, some of your deposition strategies. I enjoyed the discussion today. Until the next time. Yeah, thanks, Eric. Yeah, we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Minnesota WorkComp Connection. If you have any questions related to your claim, reach out to the law firm sponsoring the show, Brown and Carlson PA and Motaz and Sisk. Until next time.